Happy February. I'm glad everyone's here. February 12th, we're excited to get into God's Word this morning. I want to welcome our online family, those tuning in. I'm just witnessing people tune in from all over the world last Sunday, and it was so awesome to see comments coming from different continents, wherever you're at, uh, in person or online. We're glad you're here, and I believe God has a word for you today. Uh, we are about to read a lot of scripture together, like 19 verses. We're going to read so much scripture right now that you're going to walk out monks and nuns today. And um, I just wanted to warn you about that before we jump in. Where you see the bold text, I want you to read aloud with me. And throughout my portion of Scripture, your portion of Scripture to read, you're going to see some phrases highlighted. It's almost like when you're in an Orioles game and you're ready for them to, so, to, to sing, uh, oh, say, does that, and everybody yells, oh, we're going to see uh, a phrase repeated in here that says, in charge, in charge. And wherever you see that, if you're reading or I'm reading, I want to put a little emphasis on it, okay? So say it a little louder when you see it. Here we go. This, is, uh, this reading is going to be from Genesis 37 through uh, 45, and we are going to cover a lot of the Joseph cycle in Genesis today. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, um, this is going to connect with you. If you're unfamiliar, we're jumping into the life of this man who was sold by his brothers for 20 shekels of silver and became a slave living in the land of Egypt. And we're going to pick it up there in Genesis 39 after he was sold to a man named Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Let's read. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge, amen, of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. And then later, uh, some, some things happen, and we're going to put it up where Joseph is going to jail. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. We're going to put, pick this up where Joseph is no longer in prison, but he is in Pharaoh's court. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. Let's read. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. And finally, Joseph reunites with the brothers who sold him. And he says to them, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve many survivors. Amen. Lord, anoint our hearts today to receive your word. Affect us in the areas of lordship, stewardship, resources, tithing. And Lord, I pray that today uh, everything that our hands touch, everything you place in our hands would be blessed and find your favor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're continuing in a series we're in right now. It's our vision series for the year. We're calling it Right Now Counts Forever. It's adding spiritual direction to each and every one of our hearts to be used for the purposes of God, to make a difference in our time, that our faith would flow, and in 2023, change and transformation would happen in lives of people we know and in our lives for the glory of God. Uh, Today, the series is going to shift a little bit, and we're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about our finances. This is an annual conversation at Trinity. Uh, we, We hit these themes every year about obedience, about our resources, about generosity, because at Trinity, we don't believe in starving people of biblical knowledge regarding finances. Jesus talked about finances constantly. Uh, Jesus showed us that our finances are part of our worship. And um, he also taught us that our money is an x-ray of our heart. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And what we do with our wallets, what we do with our banking apps, they reveal something about our worship. They reveal something about who our heart belongs to and where we've invested it. Stewardship, which is a Uh, kind of a, a Bible term for what we do with the gifts God's given us. Stewardship reveals lordship. Who's in charge? It reveals lordship. Who is in control? Often one of the places people relegate God out of is their wallets. No doubt in our, uh, in our culture, we have control issues, and we like to compartmentalize the direction and the governance of God into different places. We want God to stay out of our schools or stay out of the womb or stay out of our banking apps. And I, I think many people, they want the favor of God, the covering of God over their lives, but they don't want the governance of God. I want God to cover me, but not govern me. We need to bless and, and add favor here, but I, I don't need his direction. I don't want to recognize his authority in this area or follow his lead. Um, the, the lie of our culture is that I can do what I want and still have what God wants. I can do what I want and still have what God wants. First thought today, and I encourage you to take notes today because I have some things to say uh, from, from the word. The first thought is this. I access my primary purpose in my secondary position. I'm going to say it again because it's a mouthful. I access my primary purpose. I connect with and engage in the purpose that God has for me in this world 
when I understand my secondary position. Joseph was always number two. In the whole story of Joseph, he was always number two. He was always in second place. He never owned what he managed. Joseph was never the owner. In Potiphar's house, he was number two, 17 years old, sold by his brothers into slavery, rises in God's favor to number two in Potiphar's house. In prison, he was number two, under the jailer. In Pharaoh's palace, he was made number two. And then in all of Egypt, he was number two at 30 years old, the wisdom of God flowing through him, always number two. But God accomplished the purpose he had for Joseph's life in his secondary positions, in each season of Joseph's life. Joseph understood that being in charge is different than being in control. Being in charge is different than being in control. His secondary position did not keep him from prosperity. He prospered, God put his favor on him, he succeeded with everything he touched, everywhere he was. His position as number two never kept him from it. In fact, he had to understand the position God placed him in so that he could experience prosperity. He had to come to terms with it and accept it in his own life that he was second. If you're in the room or if you're online today, would you say this, I am second? Let's say that together. I am second. You did not create yourself. You're second in your life. You did not give yourself life. Your life does not come from you. It does not belong to you. The word tells us in Corinthians, we are not our own, but we are bought with a price. God's the owner, I'm the manager. God's the king, I'm the servant. God's the Lord, I'm the steward. He's the authority, he has authority, I have responsibility. The word that we read uh, together with some put some emphasis on it, and I let some gusto. I liked that. Uh, the word we kept read, reading in control is the Hebrew word be-yadao, and yad, the root is hand. So what we kept reading when we said uh, that Joseph was placed in charge, Joseph was placed in charge, he was placed in charge, he was placed in charge, is really the word, it was placed in Joseph's hand, in his hand, in his hand, in his hand. Um, Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means when God has placed something in our hands. Um, The idea, the understanding of our position that that Joseph understood, that he was second. I want to come in first at being second. I want to get a gold medal at wearing a silver medal. In my life, I want to be number one at being number two. I want to understand my position and serve God to the best of my ability and not be the king, not be the Lord, not be the owner, but be the steward and the manager and the servant that God requires me to be so I can access my purpose. Um, I wanna talk to you about this, the red ribbon today. It's not the blue ribbon, it's the red ribbon. So today, if you're taking notes, this message is called Turning Silver into Gold turning silver into gold. Um, The lie many try to live is that I deserve to be the boss, so I will take what belongs to him. I deserve to be the boss. I'm making, I'm doing all the work. I'm bringing all the blessings the boss is enjoying. I deserve what belongs to him. 
Joseph was challenged with this temptation. This lie approached Joseph, and he had to do something about it. Um, when Potiphar's wife came to him and sought out an inappropriate relationship with him. Um, Joseph had the opportunity to say, I deserve what the number one has. But he demonstrated integrity and sexual purity inside that situation. He didn't say, you know what? My life has not gone the way I've intended. God's purpose has led me to places I didn't want to go, so now I'm going to I'm going to stop living for him and I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to take what's mine. This season's about me. He had that temptation to take what belonged to his boss, but he didn't. Some of us maybe don't serve our bosses very well because of envy or ego or insecurity or bitterness at God not making us the boss. We don't like our position. We don't want to accept our position. Joseph's integrity and sexual ethics here are an example for us when it comes to the seduction of greed in our lives. The seduction of greed that says, I deserve to be number one. Will we establish fiscal purity in our lives? Will we maintain it in the face of a materialistic culture that says, spend on you, put yourself first, be selfish, don't be generous? Or will we understand that right now counts forever and we have to soberly evaluate what we spend on and what we invest into? Will we only spend on frivolous junk in our culture? Will we invest into the kingdom? The number one sign of prosperity, um, it, it's in your position. It, it, it's not promotion. It's about the presence of God meeting you in your position. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Joseph found favor in the sight of others. He prospered in oppression when he was enslaved. He prospered in prison. Likely Joseph was in what we call the round house or like a round fortress or, or possibly because of the way he described his plight to the baker as being in the pit. Maybe he was in this dug rectangular pit that was popular in the ancient Near East that was just covered with thatch, deep enough where you couldn't escape living in a pit. He prospered there. When the circumstances of life attempted to thwart the plans of God, God is with you in the midst. In your life, you can find purpose when you take the gifts God's given you, the endowment of God, that's what a gift is, and connect it to a mindset of kingdom building, a mindset of stewardship. And that's what Joseph did. The the choice to be faithful in stewardship. Not including God, but understanding that God's in control. When it comes to my life, God's just not a part of it. I don't consult him every once in a while. He's not included. He's in control. He's more than included. Um, what happened uh, with, later in the story is that Pharaoh, who's leading Egypt, I encourage you to read this whole Joseph cycle, um, to really understand that this story is all about stewardship of resources. What happens is Pharaoh gets these dreams. In these dreams, what the word says is they greatly disturb Pharaoh in chapter 41, verse 8. Greatly disturbed by his dreams. He can't sleep. He can't eat. He's upset. They have shaken him to his core. A lot of times... When people don't have a mentality that God comes first, 
when they have an experience with God or a revelation of God or the Holy Spirit convicts their hearts about the reality of God, they become greatly disturbed. When that thought that God comes first comes across their mind, they have to make, they have to come to terms with it. It greatly disturbs their peace when they consider that they're not the king and they're not the Lord. Or they have to make believe in a new version of God and reinterpret Jesus into a new, new version, a way nothing like the Christ of Scripture, so that they can suppress the truth of God's role in their life, of the authority of God in their life. And, and that's what Pharaoh had been doing. And then he gets these dreams. He says, Joseph, can you interpret these dreams? And Joseph said, I can't do this, but God can. He can set your mind at ease and he can give you peace. Pharaoh, God can help you understand your true position. You see, in, in that culture, everyone believed that Pharaoh was a divine being that he was equal with all other deities, and he negotiated with those deities to ensure the life cycle of the Egyptians. That was Pharaoh's job as their living God. Joseph comes, and his interpretation of the dreams refutes Pharaoh's whole worldview. It defies the doctrine of the culture, saying that he's the, the one God, and he confirms the truth of Joseph's faith. That's what Joseph's interpretation of the dreams did. And he says to Pharaoh, if you accept what God is trying to reveal to you about who he is and what he's trying to communicate to you, he will give you peace, Pharaoh, where you've been greatly disturbed. Um, Joseph reveals an alternative view of reality. A lot of times when we read this portion of the story in chapter 39, we don't understand the gravity of it. This was... This moment was on a razor's edge with bated breath. Pharaoh's next words could have been, put this man to death. Because his interpretation of these dreams refutes my whole worldview about who I am as a living God, our cultural doctrine. But Joseph was faithful to speak the truth. He was faithful to speak the truth before Potiphar and to Potiphar's wife. He was faithful to speak the truth in his family. He was faithful to speak the truth in prison when he was interpreting dreams. He was faithful to speak the truth to Pharaoh. <clears throat> he, he reveals to Pharaoh that God alone is divine, and he is revealing to you the events that will transpire. This jolts Pharaoh out of vanity. It jolts Pharaoh out of self-satisfaction. Pharaoh has an I am second moment that changed the course of Egypt and the surrounding nations. Um, Joseph is faithful He's faithful. And it's important for us to see that. He understands that his primary purpose is in his secondary position. The second thought I want you to see today is that God's favor, the favor of God to accomplish the purpose he has for you, is available in unfavorable conditions. Wow, what a life Joseph had. 13 years of enslavement, of imprisonment, incarceration. 13 years. Your purpose is not limited by your place. Even though Joseph was in confinement, in a pit, in a dugout dungeon, he was still active, helpful, useful, and prosperous. What was he doing down there in the pit that made the jailer take notice of him? What was he doing that God was blessing, that was prospering? Was he making everybody's beds? Was he cleaning up everybody's, you know, gruel bowls? What was he doing? 
Whatever he was doing, he de- he, it was, it's obvious that he decided to be active. That even in confinement, he saw himself as still usable. He saw himself as still having an endowment of God to steward. Your unfavorable conditions do not mean that God's favor is not available to you. 63% of Americans today are living paycheck to paycheck. Their conditions may not be favorable. 50% of Americans believe they will never be debt-free. Some pastors think they should only preach about money once they're wearing Gucci sweaters. I'm not that pastor, and I'm not wearing those sweaters. Um, I don't plan on it. Like many of you, my adult life started with student loan debt, and it started with the cheapest apartment complex in my town. When I left college as a single uh, person a couple years before Candace and I got married and I started pastoring, um, I was trying to pay off student loan debt. I was trying to keep a Mazda protege from 1999 alive, had 230,000 miles on it, and I was trying to save up for an engagement ring. It's not easy to do all at the same time. that season, in that season, I only got new stuff when someone else in the apartment complex got arrested or evicted, which happened on a regular basis because of the complex I was living in. And the company would move their stuff out to the curb. I'm not kidding you. I got a set of golf clubs that way. I got a coffee table that way. I got a couch that way. When you choose to honor God in your situation, you can find favor even when you're broke. You can get free even before you're debt free. You can get free when you start to honor God. And and I wanna tell you that God's word shows me that he wants every believer to experience financial freedom, to not live in debt. And, And it's important Because once you get out of debt, you can tell your money where to go rather than being dragged around by your debts. And God wants that for you. He wants that for each and every one of us. But even when you're in debt, he wants you to get a vision, right? Just like we talked about last Sunday and the Sunday before, a vision for debt-free living and a plan for how to get there. It's important. But even before you're debt-free, you can live free. And I'm serious about this. You can live anxiety-free, panic-free, guilt-free, even when you're not debt-free. And that happens when you start to honor God with your finances and put him first. When you understand that he's the owner, I'm the steward. And, And let me tell you, that's really freeing when you say, God, you own my finances, and right now I am negative X thousand dollars to the bad, and you're the owner of that, Lord. When you recognize that God's in control and you start to act like you're in charge of what he's in control of, when you start to act in a way that pleases him because he's the owner, you're just the manager, it changes everything. You get free. We cannot deny the fact when we read God's word that your dollars are tied to your soul. You can be spiritually free when you start to honor God with your resources and finances. Your soul gets freed from the money master. You stop being dragged around by selfishness and laziness and materialism and bad spending habits and greed and unbelief when you start doing things God's way. You're free from all those things. You can no longer be lazy and sit around and do nothing. You have to put the endowment God's given you to work. 
You have to invest your time. You have to have work ethic that says, I'm going to do everything as worship unto God. Um, Use my time to please him. And, And you get freed from the unbelief that says tithing equals bankruptcy. And you might have the mentality that Joseph's brothers had when they were in enmity with their brother. Favoritism had polluted their family. And they saw an opportunity to get rid of him for their own personal gain. Not honor God, not honor God, but have some personal gain. Sell my brother, get 20 shekels of silver. Over 10 brothers at the time, that's nine or that, that, you know, you break that down, 20, that's like two shekels of silver per person. That's all they got. At the end of the story, the end of the story, when Joseph sends them back to the land to bring the whole family, move the whole family down, he gives each brother 300 shekels of silver. So often we are looking uh, about one inch in front of us. We're we're grabbing for pennies like hungry, hungry hippos, and we're just, I need that 20 she- I need those two shekels. I need that. I, and, and we don't honor God. We're just focusing on ourselves, and God is just trying to bless us. God is trying to bring us into a place of freedom. God's trying to bring that over and above beyond what we could ask or imagine. God's looking at 300 shekels. We're looking at the next two. When we choose to honor him, He's able to bring about the redemptive blessing in our finances that we cannot see around the corner. Um, That vision to pursue financial freedom, that vision to pursue finances that honor God. I like the way Dave Ramsey talks about it. He says, you have to pursue that vision with gazelle intensity. Run away as fast as you can, like a gazelle from a lion at the threat of danger. Run away from any practice that doesn't honor God sprint from it with that type of intensity. Um, Christians in the United States earn $5.2 trillion annually. 50% of the income of Christians on the planet is in the United States. 50% of the resources, the, the fiscal resources of the church are in the United States. On average, those Christian Families give 2.5% of that income at church. That is uh, an average of $2,200 to church. Only 5% of Christians tithe, giving their first 10% to the work of the Lord. 61% of young people under 24 never give more than pocket change, whatever's in their pocket. Global pastors... Don't invite American preachers to teach on giving because they do it better than we do it. I heard a story this week from a pastor friend about a church in a developing nation where the congregation makes the equivalent of $20 a month on average, each person, $20 a month, but 100% of the people in their congregation tithe. And God's preserving them and blessing them and providing for them. So they asked the pastor to come and speak, but don't speak on giving. Because they're doing it right. Um, right now counts forever for us. Where God has given us much to steward, there's greater responsibility. Much is required from us. Much obedience is required from us. God's favor is available to you in unfavorable conditions. Wherever you're at, 
whatever you're making, whatever your um, liquidity is right now, how much in debt you are, how much to the good you are, in the red, in the black, it's a great time to honor the red letters of Christ. It's a great time to honor Jesus with your finances, to trust him and put him first, to get that big picture mentality that God wants to bless me if I understand that I am second. He's the king, I'm the manager, I have to honor him. Third thought is your purpose is to redeem, not to reign. Someday we'll be uh, the recipients of our inheritance. We just have an endowment now. We'll really understand what it means to be joint heirs in Christ. We will reign alongside him in glory for eternity. But in this life, the purpose is to redeem, not to reign. It's not for you to share a throne with God on earth and for you both to rule. It's your purpose to use money redemptively, not be self-serving and be the king of your bank account, but for God to be the king. You know, every time Joseph was faithful and obedient, the reward for his obedience was more opportunity to be faithful, more opportunity to, to demonstrate God's favor to a greater and greater crowd. God continued to give him platforms. If you're faithful, and, and we say this in personal ministry, if you're faithful in ministry, the reward for that is more ministry. You get to do it again. You get to do more. If we're faithful in 2023, Trinity, you know what the reward's gonna be? A more fruitful 2024. A 2024 with more opportunities and a bigger platform to reach more people. If you're faithful in your finances this year, your opportunity is going to be to be faithful with more, with the much in the many when you start with the few. Joseph stored obediently. He gave compassionately. He brought the tithe into the storehouse during the years of abundance, and he gave generously and compassionately in the years of famine. He understood that he was sold to save. He was enslaved to save. He was incarcerated to save. He was promoted to save. Demotion or promotion, it's to save. When I honor God, whatever my, my situation looks like, it's to honor, it's to, to save. It's to be redemptive. It's to put God first. Why has God given me the stewardship over employees, systems, children, time, resources, skills to save others? Joseph's brothers come in the famine for food. They don't recognize him, and, and we see the exchange Joseph has with him, and, and what we don't see is, Joseph, where is the pride? Now that you're in charge of all of Egypt, Joseph, where is the vengeance? Where is it that Joseph wanted to rule over his brothers? to reign over them, to take what God had given him, that position, and use it for his own personal gain. Where is that? It's not in his heart. He understood that this has not been for the purpose of reigning over you, but for the purpose of saving you. Think back to what Joseph's brother said at his first dream. His first dream where his family, like sheaves of wheat, bowed down before his sheaves sheaves of wheat, and, and he said, do you think you'll reign over us? You really expect to reign over us, Joseph? And at the end, it doesn't come around to Joseph saying, yep, guys, here I am. It all came true. I'm here to reign over you. No, he said, 
don't be mad you sold me into slavery. It's so that you could be saved. It's for salvation. The whole point isn't that I would reign on this earth, isn't that I can get everything I want in this life to build, to build bubbles and bubbles of comfort around myself, more and more vacations, more and more hot tubs, more and more whatevers. The purpose of the, the stewardship, the resources, the position, what God is giving me, this endowment in this life is to connect it to a mindset of redemption, to build the kingdom, to understand that right now counts forever, to put my money to work for the Lord. There is a silver medal glory that God has for each and every one of us to experience. It only comes when we understand that we're number two, that we're here to serve him. I want to accomplish a great deliverance in my time. I want to see God accomplish a great transformation in my community. And I know at church, I know that an under-resourced church is a weak church. That discouragement in the body of Christ comes when money is tight. But a spirit of generosity floods the church when we teach on it and when we practice it and when we submit everything to the Lord, our heart, mind, body, but also our resources. When you understand that God's financial plan for you includes the local church, you can't help but buy in and participate. Here's a fact. If you're giving, you'll be inviting. If you're bought in, if you're giving, if you have skin in the game, you're participating. The world is hypersensitive to hypocrisy. If we believe, as Jesus described, that the advancement of the kingdom of God through the local church really is the hope of the world, but we're uncommitted and uninvolved and unsupportive, that is not a testimony that people will receive. It's an incomplete testimony at best. It's a contradictory testimony at worst. And that is not the testimony that I wanna put in front of the world that desperately needs a clear presentation of the gospel of Christ. We cannot live like the king and the owner and the boss. Even if you're the slickest economist in the world, until you connect a mindset with your gift, a mindset with your gift, a mindset of advancing the kingdom, a mindset that you are second, that it all belongs to him. So you connect that mindset with your gift, you won't fully access your purpose. And I'm not afraid to challenge you business leaders, to challenge you those that are blessed and abundant and God has given a great endowment to. You might understand every, every facet of investing better than me, I understand every, I cannot, I cannot explain NFTs to you to save my life. But I'm not afraid to challenge your fears when it comes to honoring God and to challenge your fears when it comes to putting God first in the area of your finances so that you can have an EROI. That's an eternal return on investment. We need you. Church, business leaders, we need you. We need your know-how, we need your ingenuity, we need your experience, we need your insight, we need you to help us have better practices in the kingdom of God, we need to help us use our money wisely. God's given you administrative gifts, He's given you economical gifts, we need that. But you need to connect your, your gift with a mindset of honoring God. That is when great things happen. Great things happen in God's family, in the church. Hmm. Favor is a test. 
I pray that each and every one of us find God's favor, but you'll find unwelcome and unwanted favor too. Joseph did with Potiphar's wife. He found favor that he didn't need and he didn't want. God has placed his hand on you, each and every one of you. You're born in the U.S. of A., or maybe you immigrated to the U.S. of A. You're blessed. You have opportunity here. He's given you resources. I want to challenge you to use them for the church, use them for the kingdom around the world. The kingdom needs you to invest your life, and you're going to hear preaching on that. Make your fear afraid. Challenge your fears with your faith. We will continue to speak to you with the audacity to connect you to your purpose so that you can experience the power of God in the land of the living, that sense that you can only get when God is using you beyond what you can do by yourself supernaturally because you're blessing him. I invite you this morning to stand. Joseph rode in the chariot for the second in charge. Joseph was given every administrative responsibility. Joseph was in charge, but he wasn't in control. What will you do with the things that have been placed in your hand? What will you do? God is ready to bless nations. God is ready to bless communities. God is ready to shake nations. Those of you that have observed what's going on in Asbury University down in Kentucky this week, it's just a remarkable thing. They met for chapel on Wednesday morning, for a normal chapel, pray and worship and fix their minds on Christ, and that chapel service has not stopped. The Spirit of God showed up, started to move people's hearts, and they just continued in revival in that college campus. It's amazing. I was thinking about that this week. I was also thinking this week as the manhunt situation was going down and officers um, were shot in Cockeysville area and then in Hartford County and we were praying uh, for the recovery of specifically the second officer that was shot that's in, um, in, in hospital right now and has a, what I understand a long road to recovery, uh, of recovery, praying for him. But uh, Candace and I were following along and we were listening to the police scanner as the manhunt was coming to it. Conclusion and just what was happening, what was happening. Oh my goodness. Police scanner talking about this situation is being interrupted by every, other situations every 30 seconds. Call for suicide help happening at Towson University campus. Domestic violence happening here. This happened, and it just flooded, flooded the police scanner with the brokenness in our community, with the need for Jesus, the need for transformation. Church, I cannot say it enough. We're going to say it all year. Right now counts forever. God's plan to solve this brokenness around us is you. It's you. Today, I want to, I want to worship with you. I want to glorify God and lift him higher and higher and higher until everybody hears about it and, and knows about it. But I want to challenge you today to think with discernment and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to bring conviction into every dollar you're spending. So you can know, God, I'm using this to please you. It's all for you. I'll give what you tell me to. I'll keep what you tell me to. I'll use it all for your glory. Consecrate it all to you. Let's pray. 
Jesus, I thank you for this morning, God. I thank you that you help us in every area of our lives. And your, your end result, Father God, where you're bringing us is blessing. That blessing doesn't always look like promotion, but it's always accompanied, God, by your favor and your presence and your hand on us. And Lord, that's what we want. That's what we want, Jesus. So God, I pray for that type of prosperity to be in each and every one of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would give us vision to see what honoring you brings. Give us vision for those 300 shekels and not the two. Give us vision for honoring you in all circumstances. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Church, let's worship God today. Let's give him the fruit of our lips and, uh, and let's name him as king over all that he's given us. Let's worship.